This is the Horse Radio Network. Hello, and welcome to the Sport Horse Podcast. I'm Nicole Lakin. And I'm Tim Morden. And we're very excited to share this conversation today with you. Our guest is Imke Schlumer. Uh, so Imke is a physiotherapist who works on both horses and humans. And she's going to give us a really, really cool perspective on that re- relationship between the two and how some of the common training issues that we see in horses are actually relating back to some issues with the rider's own bodies, whether it's uh, stiffness in a certain area or just an inability to to move the body in complete unison with the horse to communicate as uh, we should. And she'll describe how that actually relates to changes in the horse's body. So whether it's uh, like tensioning of the muscle in the back or maybe in the neck or maybe just some resistance to, to execute a certain movement. So it's a really, really interesting discussion. Uh, Imka for sure knows her stuff. And uh, I think you're really going to enjoy this one. As Tim said, our guest today is Imka Schulmer. At the age of 10, Imka began working and learning in a private stable and was exposed to diverse ways of training and riding horses. After school, Imka became a physiotherapist for humans and horses. In 2009, Imka met Dr. Joseph Kastner, a sports scientist from Vienna, who became her mentor. Today, Imka is based in the Oldenburg region of Germany and primarily works with riders on optimizing their movement patterns, balance, and coordination. She authored the book, Set Yourself in Motion, which covers the theory behind a rider's position and provides practical guidance on how to optimize your seat. Hello, Imka, and welcome to the Sport Horse Podcast. Hi, thank you for having me. As a physiotherapist who works with both humans and horses, what are you seeing in a horse's body that told you that there were movement issues with their rider? Well, yeah, the the first symptoms we see in a horse that's not so happy with the rider on top um, is a very sensitive croup and and back area because, of course, um, the horse tries to resist the, the rider's aids. And after a while, there is a yeah high tension in, in the horse's back musculature and also in the lower um, in the lower neck. So um, what riders tell me is that the horse doesn't want to bend after a while. Um, the horse resists the hand aids and uh, sometimes they swish the tail a lot. So the horse just shows it's it's not happy with the rider on top. And sometimes it ends up um, to a fight. <laughs> yeah, it sounds very hard, but it is how it is. And I think many of us um, know this and have seen it. Yeah, yeah. no, that, that's that's really Im- important. And I think, it, as you say, it's something that we we often see, but it's I, I think sometimes it's a little bit hard to understand why it occurs. And I know when we met last week, we had a really nice conversation, and uh, I'm really excited to uh, to talk more about this. Because you were talking a lot about the rider's pelvic motion and how that should be matched to the movement of the horse. And I, I've had a lot of, like you hear hear about that before, but no one's ever explained it to me as well as you explained it. So can you dive into that a little bit and talk about how the rider's pelvis should move to ensure that there's a more seamless connection between them and the horse? Um, so first of all, I would like to make sure we are speaking about the same thing because um, everybody speaks about a swinging or a flexible pelvis, but the pelvis itself is not flexible. It's it's the lumbar spine and the hip joints that have to be flexible 
um, and make sure that the pelvis can follow the horse's movement. Um, so this is important to understand because when we know this, we know how we have to train our own bodies uh, to, to help the horse. So just to, to explain a little bit how um, we can make sure that the pelvis can swing, it's, it's important to understand a little bit how the body works. And um, we need to have a good um, musculature in the trunk. But that doesn't mean we, we need to have strong muscles. It needs it, it, it means we, we need to have um, very well coordinated muscles. So it's for for equestrians, in my opinion, it's much more important to work on balance, coordination, um, than to work on strength. Of course, it is important to have a, a, a normal, I, I always call it a normal strength, but it, it's enough to have a all daily, <laughs> everyday living activity strength in that muscle area. Uh, I don't need to be a bodybuilder <laughs> to, to ride a horse. Very important to, is to understand the um, antagonistic inhibition that works everywhere in our body. And maybe to, um, to give an example and to, to make it easier for our listeners to understand, uh, we can do a little experiment. So if every one of us sits on a normal chair and puts one hand um, on the belly and the other hand in, in the lumbar spine or in the back, and we move forward, then we can easily feel that the back muscles work a lot more. And the more I lean forward, the less my abdominal muscles work. So this is the antagonistic inhibition, means the more my back muscles work, the less my abdominal muscles work. So that makes sure that, that I can move. <laughs> if this wouldn't work, I would have a problem. <laughs> <laughs> It, it works all through the body. For our um, upper body, that means the more I'm in the vertical line, um, the better my coordination is. Because when I move out of that vertical line, one muscle area needs to work more. Is is a dominant musculature that's working and that inhibits the other muscles around. Maybe. Another example is when you're standing and um, your your upper body is straight and you're trying to do a salsa movement with your pelvis and then you start leaning backwards. Then you feel that it's more and more difficult to do this salsa movement, <laughs> which needs a very difficult coordination. And that's the same sitting on a horse. When your upper body is straight, you're really able to coordinate all your muscles, the, 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 your, you can play with your muscles. And it's very easy to, to do everything with your pelvis. So um, a, a vertical upper body is important, for example, to, to ride flying changes from stride to stride. Um, the same exercise, it's a lot more difficult when you lean backwards. And you can see it when you watch dressage riders trying to, to ride those flying changes and you see some of them leaning backwards, it looks a lot more heavy than, than for those who have a straight upper body. 
So I hope that makes sense. And, and I hope um, you can understand what I mean, why it is so important to have the upper body in a vertical line. And um, this is absolutely necessary to have a flexible pelvis. And the, we, we, we have to understand that the upper body is um, a huge leverage. So means when, when I'm just two or three centimeters out of the vertical line, I need to hold myself somewhere. So I, I stay at this example with the, with the, with leaning backwards, um, because this, this is a picture we, which is very common. So we see many riders leaning backwards and what's happening? They have to, um, to, tighten the the knees so they have to hold themselves with the knees of course and the the lower legs move forward so they they come more and more into a chair seat and that blocks completely the pelvic movement that's a big problem because the horse um the the information i can give with my pelvic movement is less and less precise the more I get behind the vertical line with my upper body. Does that make sense? Yeah, no, that, that makes a lot of sense. I think that's really, uh, really valuable information. And um, I, I think that, so we'll include links to uh, the two videos you sent. And I think the, the one video is probably what you're talking a little bit about right now with the, the, the rising trot, right? And some of that imagery. So can you maybe just quickly touch on that video? right now and sort when someone goes and watches that video what will they see so it's a it's a video with a young lady um she's um she's in the rising trot and um there is one video in the, in the top where you can see her in a, in a disbalanced way of, of rising trot and um the video below shows her five minutes later when we worked a little bit on her balance and in the first video, it's very easy to, to see that her center of gravity is far behind her supporting point. And the supporting points um, are the stirrups. And to understand if one movement is in balance, we have to watch the, the most um, instable phase of that movement. And watching the rising trot, it is always the moment of, of standing. This is the, the, the most, um, yeah, instable moment. And in that moment, you can easily see that, that she's just not in balance because her feet are far in, in, in front of her center of gravity. So she falls back into the saddle and you see the discomfort of her horse because it, Every time she falls back into the saddle, um, the horse lifts the head and neck, of course. And um, yeah, seeing this, it's really easy to understand why a horse is not so happy with a rider like that. <laughs> and um, so I think the mistake we, we do very often is to, um, to start the rising trot from the dressage seat. And we think... Um, that we need to, to keep our straight upper body while starting with our rising trot. In my opinion, it's much more um, healthy for both horse and rider 
to um, to start from the two-point seat. When you start to trot, lean a bit forward and start from a two-point seat and try to understand how far you can come back into the vertical line without losing your balance. You can easily feel. Your horse will tell you <laughs> and you will feel because the 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 moment you sit down in the saddle should always be soft. I know that sometimes riders believe um, they have to sit down very heavy to activate the hind legs of the horse. In my opinion, this is difficult, <laughs> difficult to understand that depending on the height um, the rider comes from and the speed in, in the, in the moment of change, in worst case, the horse has to, to lift two to three times of the rider's weight. So this is really, really heavy work for the horse. And sometimes riders are very, yeah, very angry that the horse is so lazy. But I must say, okay, you're standing on the brake and on the gas at the same time because the way you're, you're coming down into the saddle, which is very heavy, slows your horse down and your leg, which is kicking, um, tells your horse to move forward. What shall it do? So in, in my opinion, it's much more, um, healthy for both because also the, the rider's back, um, gets compressed in this moment uh, to start in a two-point seat and slowly come back and see how far you can come. That's really fascinating. And I there's so much there. I want to sort of focus. So you've talked a, little, a lot about the physics and how the upper body of the rider um, acts, you know, sort of as leverage and depending on, um, you know, how vertical versus, you know, behind the vertical or in front of the vertical you are, it changes the force that the horse has to use to move. And I think that's really valuable to understand, but I wonder if you could break down a little bit more about the specific things that you see from the horse when the rider isn't able to coordinate their movement well. So what are the indicators that you see from the horse and, and why are those things bad also? You know, so I think sometimes people think, well, you know, that rider is doing what they have to do with the, their body to make things happen. But mm -hmm. I think that's really not the case, not a, not a positive case, at least. The problem is that the horse becomes more and more tensed because it's against the rider's aids. It cannot take the rider's aids as an aid. <laughs> it's um, just, yeah, it, it tries to understand what it should do. And we know the pictures. Um, very often we see more and more pressure from the rider. I know the words are quite hard, but um, we, we often see a little fight. And fighting against each other always causes a lot of tension. And that's the problem. We have loss of, of rhythm, of course, and um, the horses don't bend in a correct way. Um, they... Sooner or later, many, many sport horses have problems with the sacroiliac joints because they, they are the, the center at the end of, of, uh, no, they, they, they have to carry a lot. Let's say it like this. Yeah. I, I wonder too, if you could talk a little bit, um, we, we focus a little 
bit on the, on the dressage and the flat work, but I think one of the things that if you stand by um, a show jumping ring and you watch um, especially like junior and amateur level classes um, and uh, you watch people's position in the air um, and a lot, I would say of, of juniors and amateurs that are still developing their strength and their feeling um, they're often a little behind or a little ahead of the horse's balance. Could you get into maybe a little bit of that and, and how important, um, that component of, of the balance and, um, and the not working hard to not be working against the horse, uh, would be to a jumping horse. Yeah. You, you already said what the problem is. Um, some riders are ahead or behind, um, the horse's movement and that is a problem for the horse because the horse has to compensate this inability of, of, of the rider to be exactly in the moment to, to support the horse um, as, as much as he or she can. In my opinion, a good rider, especially jumper, jumping rider, is, is the one who's very, very fast in changing him or herself in the position. So if I imagine um, someone, a rider who, who um, needs after after a vertical needs ten strides to coordinate him or herself again, you will never be able to to ride a double combination. <laughs> so one very important point is um, yeah balance and the flexibility and the ability to change yourself very very fast i like to train this on the gymnastic ball um the the big gymnastic balls with a diameter of 70 centimeters something around this and to 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 stand on those balls <laughs> and uh with my clients i train a lot uh, they are standing on that ball and they have to rotate to one side and I throw another ball <laughs> and they have to catch and throw away and react to the left, to the right, everywhere. So they learn to keep the balance and we put another task on top. So because this is something a show jumper absolutely needs. And my um, my experience is this helps a lot to, to make it more... Um, um, normal to keep the balance. It's so interesting that many, many jumpers have really balanced problems. And I don't just speak about amateurs. <laughs> and the, the, the horses are so good and so gentle that uh, they compensate a lot. So, um, the, the first, yeah, the, the first step is to, to really train this. On the ground without the horse, and then um, I like to work a lot with rhythm. So, so we we change a lot between two point seat, rising trot, sitting trot, and um, while we are doing this, while we change all these different positions, um, we we put a cavaletti somewhere, and so it's it's very normal to to change themselves all the time. And then, whoops, there is a Cavaletti. And <laughs> that, that helps a lot to make it more, um, yeah, normal and more simple to keep the balance, to be in the rhythm of the horse. Yeah. Really, really interesting. And 
you you touched on a very important point about how, how e- it's not just the amateurs and the beginner riders who struggle with this. There are still some uh, riders competing at the, the higher levels who who have these challenges and not just jumping and sort of across the disciplines. Mm-hmm. And it relates back to, um, I think sometimes the the coaching progression and it's like what you're describing here really should be the foundation and the basics of the sport. But I know we've chatted a little, a little bit about this before, but I think sometimes it's as long as you have a horse that's good enough to compensate for you, then people will continue to progress and progress until they reach that point, maybe 10 years down the road into their career when they finally realize that, you know, there's something fundamentally a bit wrong with my style because all my horses have back issues. Like all my horses are resisting a little bit. Um, like curious to hear your thoughts on in a perfect world when we're coaching and developing young riders, like how do we make sure that they have this foundation before they continue to advance and jump higher and do more complex dressage uh, tasks and so on? Well, I would make sure that those riders understand the horse's movement. This is, in my opinion, this is absolutely um, the, the, the basic knowledge for everyone, for every rider, um, to know how the horse is, especially the back moves in the different gates, in the different lections. Um, and knowing this, we can develop our own seat. So we know how the horse, horse's back moves, and we know how our body has to move. And um, from that, we can start to work with our aids and we can um, make sure that our horse is more and more able to, to understand us because we are putting the aids in the correct way with the correct timing. I'm thinking of an alternately driving forward lower leg, which is not so easy. I see many riders that do not know that they have to work um, alternately with their lower legs to, to bring the horse forward so that the horse can understand that, that aid. Um, many people just push whenever they think and horses resist more and more. And this knowledge is so important and you can just get it when you, when you focus a bit more, um, no, it's not anatomy. It's, it's, I, I, yeah, a little bit anatomy is helpful, but it's really biomechanics. We need to understand how the horse moves and then we can move ourselves. Um, coming back to the jumping rider, um, there are many riders also on top level that have problems to ride one turn. So maybe it's always the left turn, which is very difficult. And when you watch them in canter from behind, many, many times you can see that they are always using the same movement. So from, from behind, you see, for example, um, the canter to, to the right is very good. And the pelvis is able to follow the horse's movement on right-hand canter. And when they change to left-hand canter, they are still doing the same. And that's so interesting. And that's the reason why the left turn is always difficult. So we have to come back to this very simple movement. And we we have to teach the people um, how the horse's back moves and then teach them 
how they should move. And then we can come back to, to our jumping course and the turn won't be a problem anymore. But I know it's, it's very often it's a problem to, um, to tell this, especially pro to professional riders, because they feel like beginners. <laughs> and nobody likes to, to go 10 steps back. <laughs> but um, sometimes this is the, the key. Yeah, absolutely. I, um, a little bit selfishly, um, I wanted to ask, you know, I, I think, especially when you're not built in a way that makes you sit on a horse well to begin with, um, yeah. which is the majority of people. And I happen to fit into that bucket. I think that a lot of times, like you said, I think the emphasis goes, gets put on strength a little bit and, oh, just drop your stirrups and ride without your stirrups every day and you'll figure it out. And I do, I do think that that's helpful because taking away your stirrups forces you to go a little bit more with the horse's movement and, and whatnot. However, you know, you mentioned transitions and I always think of transitions as a really good way, both to help your horse build strength, but also, um, to, synchronize your aids and, and your communication better. So I'm just curious what types of exercises you think riders should be doing both, both on the horse and off the horse to increase that, that body awareness and their ability to match the movements of their horse better. Yeah. Very good question. <laughs> <laughs> Unmounted. I think everything is good. That helps you to, to be more flexible in the lumbar spine and hip joints. That can be um, Pilates, Feldenkrais, yoga, whatever you like. I think it's very important to choose something you like because you you only do things you like. <laughs> and so it's, it's important to find something you can really live with. <laughs> and um, yeah, uh, Sitting on the horse, I, yeah, I'm completely with you. Transitions are very good for the horse and for the rider, but <laughs> I don't like so much to, to take the stirrups away because, um, yes, we, we have the feeling of sitting very deep in the saddle and everybody likes this very long leg. <laughs> But the problem is um, that our hip joint is not so much flexible in, in the extension. So the more extended your hip joint is, the more you will sit in direction of a hollow back. And that takes away your, your flexibility with your pelvis. So um, the more straight you sit, the, the more extended your hip joints are, uh, the less flexible you will be with your pelvis. And it depends a little bit on the um, exterior of your horse. When you have a, I would say, a little fat pony, <laughs> 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 then, of course, you will be much more uh, on, yeah, your, your adductor muscle will be a lot more um, tensed. And that's also not helpful for the pelvic movement. Yeah, I'm just to to bring this together. There, to ride without stirrups can can be 
can be a help just to to feel the movement of the horses back a little bit better. But for precise performance, it's not helpful because your pelvis is not flexible anymore because of the activity of the adductor muscles and, mm, yeah, more or less the hollow back. Do you have any any other recommendations um, uh, on the on the horse's back? Just out of curiosity. Ah, okay, okay, yeah, I forgot that. That's yeah. okay. Uh, yeah, <laughs> yeah, um, yes. There is a very nice and easy exercise um, to to make sure that you are not using your adductor muscles too much. Um, and I, I like to say pe- to people, um, imagine your horse is one size bigger (laughs) so you lift your legs a little bit um, from the saddle both legs at the same time just a little bit but it's really important you don't flex your your hip joints it's really um, you lift your legs to the side and um, hold this for two three seconds and slowly relax again and repeat this for two three four times depends on uh, how your your muscles can can deal with this because sometimes it's really painful to do this when you never did this before. People say, "Oh, uh, after two times, it's enough. I need a break." <laughs> so um, start slowly, be gentle to yourself. But um, this is a very nice help to to make sure um, you're not lifting yourself out of the saddle, which very often happens when when we because we we like to have those tensed adductor muscles so so we use the um antagonistic inhibition we 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 lift our legs from the saddle so the adductor muscles relax and we are we have a deeper seat in the saddle then um it's always good <clears throat> it's always good to to work with uh extreme positions um, I like to, to, to call it, uh, we, we clean our joints. <laughs> uh, so while the horse walks around, it's very easy to do it in a warm up. You stand up and sit two, three centimeters to the left. And of course, um, your left side is a little bit longer in that moment. And you try to follow the horse's movement while it is walking. And then you do the same after, I would say, half a minute or so. You you do the same to the other side. You will immediately feel a difference because we are all left-handed, right-handed, whatever. And um, you can you can work with that. Sit for half a minute to the left, half a minute to the right. Do this two three times to each side. Depends on the problem. And then you come back to the middle, and you will feel a difference. You will be more flexible. And it will be much easier to find the middle position after this extreme experience sitting on the very left, sitting on the very right. Yeah, that's simple and helps a lot. Awesome. That that is really helpful. Um, I feel like this conversation could continue for hours and hours. <laughs> I, I, I know we don't uh, have so much time with you. So uh, the last question we'll ask, and it's a little bit of a, a unique question to our podcast and it's a little bit uh, out there but if you could talk directly to a horse and they would understand you when you talked to them what would you want to tell them wow <laughs> that question is not easy 
Yeah, I would like to say um, uh, they don't mean it. <laughs> <laughs> they try to do their very best. <laughs> and no, I must say in my job, I, I, I know that sounds a little bit sad now, but I see really many disasters. <laughs> Really big problems in, in communication between horses and riders. Um, but all the riders I met <clears throat> in the past years, everybody wanted to do the best for the horse. So that's what I like to tell the horses. <laughs> they, they really try to do their best. <laughs> no, that's a, that's a really good message. And I think it's something that sometimes gets lost, right? Like it's, yeah, it's, it's sometimes yeah. easy to to watch the video and to meet people and to yeah stand at the side yeah. of the ring and to, to sort of pick things apart. But it's important to remember that at the end of the day, everyone's in this sport because we love it, right? And yeah. I think yeah. a, a lot of the times, just the way you know we're taught growing up, like things get missed, unfortunately. And yeah. a little bit of the point of this conversation is to go back to address some of those fundamentals. So uh, yeah, yeah, I, I agree with you. I wish the horses sometimes knew that. You know, it's it's not done on purpose. <laughs> Sometimes when everyone's trying, so that's a really good, yeah. uh, really good statement. Um, so with that, I think we'll end there. Again, thank you so much. It's been really, really uh, informative, really, really interesting, um, and I'm just so grateful you took the time to join us all the way from Germany. Thank you so much. So, in another great episode this time with Imka. Um, as I mentioned before, like I had the opportunity to sit down with her. Uh, a couple of weeks ago, and we had a really nice discussion just about some of these topics. And uh, I think that discussion lasted for two or three hours, and, and there were a few others with us as well. Um, but it's just, they're concepts that are really, really fundamental to how we train horses and how we manage them. And I think it's stuff that often gets overlooked. Um, as we talked a little bit about on today's episode, uh, I think oftentimes we're looking to replicate the exact equitation of our favorite riders. So we look at someone who's going to the Olympics or someone, our favorite, uh, maybe young rider in the equitation class. And we want to ride just like them. We try to put our bodies into that exact position. But often when we do that, I think we, we get a little bit stiff. We don't, um, have as much, uh, flexion in certain joints we should have. We, we're trying to maintain a posture that our body, maybe our, we have a bone that's a little bit longer than who we're look who uh, we watch on TV or who we're seeing in person. We have other stuff going on as well in our bodies, and we just have different strengths and weaknesses. So it, it really is about trying to tailor our body to truly understand how our bodies work and how the bodies of our horses work. And then once you get that synergy, then I think you can really create magic and, and do some really cool things. But uh, on the flip side, if we're always battling within our own bodies, I think it's always going to be the struggle. And that's a little bit what Imka was speaking about today with some of the challenges that she's seeing and horses that she's treating. Yeah, it was truly really fascinating and a, a great perspective to add to a lot of the conversations we've had so far. I know um, some of what Imka explained to us, I, I thought she does such a good job at breaking it down that I've already, you know, been out and, and ridden my horse and been really thinking about it and doing some of the things that she recommended. So I hope, um, everybody else who's listening, who rides will take a chance to, um, take some of, of this information to consideration for themselves and, um, hopefully improve in, in even, even a small way makes a big difference. 
So that's a wrap for today's episode. You can find the links to today's guest and the show notes at www.sporthorsepodcast.com. You can also follow us uh, on Instagram at Sport Horse Series and on Facebook as well. If you have a chance, go leave a review and follow us on your favorite podcast app, wherever you're listening to us now. Leaving a review is really important because it helps other people to find the show. And you can have all 20 plus shows of the Horse Radio Network with you wherever you go with our free app for iPhone and Android. Just go to the App Store and search Horse Radio Network. Thank you guys for listening. And here's to keeping your sport horse happy and healthy. Happy.